Hi, this is Rod Bland. I'm the son of the late legendary Bobby Blue Bland, and you're listening to Talking Blues Podcast. I don't know about the, the years, but one of my musical idols and somebody who was near and dear to me was a guitar player named Mel Brown. <laughs> yes! Low down Mel Brown, yes. So I presume in your travels with your dad, because mm-hmm. I don't know if you would have played with Mel while you were in this band or not. I Okay, so the background on me starting out I destroyed pots and pans and furniture at two, three years old and was gifted a Slingerland drum set by the time I was four and a half, five. So I would play drums next to whoever was the regular drummer, whether it had been my brother, uh, Tony T.C. Coleman or George Weaver at one time. As a kid growing up, you know, I was the kid over there to the right kind of behind the horn section. So there were a couple gigs that I remember as a little boy uh, where I got to play uh, with Mel Brown being on the left, uh, stage left, by the trumpet section, and then Wayne Bennett bookending the right where uh, the sax players and the trombone player was. And my dad would kind of be in the middle. So think of it like this. Uh, center is Bobby Bland. And like uh, behind him, you know, drummer and then off the side is Kid. And then you got a bass player next to the hi-hats of the drummer. Then you got three trumpet players, Mel Brown. Okay, Uh, to his right, you had maybe two sax players and a trombone player and then Wayne Bennett. So I, I came up the best of both worlds because you know you had you had the sweetness if you will of Wayne Bennett right and then you had like the the just nasty <laughs> right it's it, it it's like like it's like a sweet and sour sauce right you know you had you had that with the two of them on stage at the same time you know you got just, you know, sweet and sugary, maybe to the right. And then, you know, salty little, little, little hint of spice on the other side. And so for me, listening to like Mel Brown on his solo records, and I finally got a hold of um, Chicken Fat about maybe 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing of it is, Mel Brown could operate between both he can give you the 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 low down dirty nasty thing on guitar and then flip a switch and it'd be so sweet and so soulful and just you know it's if i'm not mistaken mel brown's the first person i ever heard play wah-wah on a guitar without use of a wah-wah pedal (laughs) you know um like no one in my dad's band and uh, did I recall in the you know growing up in the eighties and nineties uh used any kind of pedals whatsoever. 
you know, it was straight line in, line out, you know? Right. It wasn't until um, towards the end, you know, when a friend of mine, Kirk Smithart, uh, subbed on guitar for my dad that, you know, there was a pedal out there or Charlton Johnson, who was my dad's last guitar player. Um, he had a little bit of a pedal board too. Um, there was a kid, I used to call it a uh, cockroach board because stepping on cockroaches, it seemed like, you know, drawing a click, 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 you know, I don't know what was going on. And again, this is like, you know, late eighties and nineties. Like I'm seeing a guy stepping on stuff, not my dad's band, but seeing a guitar stepping on stuff. What is that? Is he stepping on cockroaches? What, what, what's going on? You know? So as a drummer, I'm such a, you know, uh, smart aleck. I'm like, yeah, cockroach board. Click, 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 click. Stomping on roaches. Did your dad ever talk about his philosophy in the band? Like when you think about, you know, to have Wayne Bennett and Mel Brown in one band, mm-hmm. I mean, that's impressive talent yeah. to be working with. Um, and as a singer, I don't know what his belief was to say, I need two great guitar players in my band. We never discussed the reason why he had two. Um, he liked having a full sound, a full spectrum. Hence, you know, the, the, the huge horn section. Right. Right. Um, it's not often you see a large band per se, especially in the blues. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, my dad's music was not your typical straightforward one, four, five blues. You know, right. it was, it was big band it had a lot of arrangements. Um, fantasy booking on my end wants to say that my dad just was greedy and wanted to have two of the best guitar players in the world on stage with him at the same time, you know, and there were times where, uh, Wayne Bennett was the sole guitar player. Other times, uh, uh, Mel Brown was the uh, sole guitar player. Uh, I saw some footage from that uh, TV One unsung where they found, or in my opinion, they unearthed uh, footage of uh, my dad from the old Dick Clark show. Hmm. Uh, I think it was in concert. And it was it was Mel Brown playing guitar, so yeah, I got to hear Mel Brown playing. You know, turn on your love light. I got to hear him and see him do Stormy Monday and the way that my dad used to do it extensively through the seventies, eighties, and nineties, where you know there's a guitar solo that builds and takes the tempo and up to drifting blues, and he you know he goes out of that and um. Yeah, it's, you don't see that. And nowadays, with the exception of maybe, and I don't want to lay, pigeonhole them with this label, but like Tedeschi Trucks is the only kind of band that I can think of where they mirror what my dad, what BB did with having, you know, at one time or another, double drums and double guitar. You know, it's 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 a, it's a lost art form and you can't, in this day and age, it's probably not financially feasible right. to have such a large band to generate that sound. For the longest time, my dad, you know, used two drummers. Uh, he's always uh, 
at times, looking back on it, a training session, training ground, if you will, uh, getting the other guy up to speed in case of emergency or one guy's got to take time off and or just, you know, having two carburetors you can run on. <laughs> you know, uh, BB did it for the longest time. We married each other. Uh, when BB had a percussionist, you know, I ended up playing percussion because we did so many shows together. Uh, and then when BB went uh, double drums, you know, we went back to double drums because, you know, my dad wanted me to play. I wanted to play. And it was uh, part of my maturation process. And those were some of the best times. And even still, we had like the same amount of people, except BB had a keyboardist. And he alternated between three and four horns. We usually had four as well. Tell me about your love of pounding on things at the age of three. <laughs> like, uh, was it drums so, or was it just you wanted to make noise? Uh, honestly, it was me being with my, always wanting to be around my dad, always wanting to, wherever he went, I wanted to go. So I would go to rehearsals, sound checks, you know, obviously gigs, and I instantaneously was drawn to drums so you know i'm seeing a guy hitting things and you know he's not getting yelled at or screamed at unless he's messing up i figure hey that sounds like an easy win for me i think i want to do this so you know as a kid you, you you're crawling around walking around and you get into things you know you see where spoons are kept and you grab some spoons and then you you know where the pots and pans are kept so you start pulling all that out and you know, you have, uh, we have vivid imaginations at that age. So everything that I pulled out, I strategically placed in a format that to me was a drum set. So there was, there were the pots and pans. Okay. He didn't like that. I woke him up from a nap. He's, Hey, come on. Let's just so we put this up and he left me with a spoon. So I went into the dining room or whatever I, you know, started pulling some chairs together that had the armrests and the, the backrest and the soft cushion that you sit down on. Okay. I'm going to sit here. That's, that's my throne. And I didn't know what the throne was at the time. I was, you know, but I'm sit here and I'm going to take this chair and I'm pull it here and I'll take this chair and off and running with the drumming I did again. And, you know, he finally said, okay, I'm having to replace furniture, <laughs> replace, kitchen where let's just get you a set of drums so i got a, a toy set and like ran through that like a tornado and then fast forward to about four and a half that's when i got the slingerland that i actually still use to this day wow yeah if i'd have known then what i knew or somewhat know now about how to properly maintain and care for a kit you know it it would look even more beautiful than it does right now thanks to my buddy aaron Malasco. so Obviously, you had a love of drums. I mean, at what point did you think you were a decent drummer? Hmm. I still don't think I'm a decent drummer. Um, <laughs> it. Um, I've never, I've never had that question posed to me before. Um, but to be quite honest, I guess. I felt confident in my capabilities as a drummer when I was able to go 
play with someone else other than my father. And I can't remember the first time I, uh, the, the name of the person, but um, it just, I sat in and played a little bit and, and someone else heard it and was like, hey, you're, you know, you're good. I mean, who do you play with? What do you, you know, play with Bobby Blue Bland. Oh, wow. You got to be great to be able to do that gig. And, you know, I was always of the impression that it's okay for someone else to tell me that I'm good or that, that I, you know, I'm doing something right. Right. But it's not going to be me that tells you I'm doing something good or I'm doing something right. Yeah, maybe, maybe when you felt good was not the right term. But at what point did you feel like this is what I want to be doing? This is, this is what I'm meant to do. I've always felt like drumming is what I need to be doing for the, I've had, you know, childhood dreams of wanting to, you know, maybe play sports, you know, never wanted to be a doctor, never wanted to be a lawyer or anything like that. You know, I wanted to be involved in something pertaining to instrument, uh, not even not instrument entertainment. And uh, I just couldn't see myself doing anything other than trying to be a musician or being involved in some form of entertainment. So when you're 10 years old and you're basically playing with your dad's band and playing Mm -hmm. with like exceptional musicians, like Tony Coleman and other instrumentalists, um, Joe Harden, uh, Wayne Bennett. Do, do, uh, do you appreciate, like, do you have an understanding of what that is? I had an appreciation, yes. Um, but the understanding of exactly what's going on, that came to me in my teen years entering into my 20s um see before i got immersed in rock and roll and things away from uh before i got immersed in things away from my dad and bb i i lived a purposefully led sheltered music life sheltered music life meaning to me what my dad and BB did, that was pop to me. That was pop. That was popular to me. Uh, whereas, you know, everywhere, you know, outside my four walls, you know, there was Prince and Michael Jackson, and I, and I liked them both. But to me, again, my dad and BB, that's what I focus my, my ears towards. And at times I feel like I might have stifled myself uh, at in, in my 40s. But it wasn't until much later that I opened myself up to the reality that there is more to my music education than just my two dads, Mr. Bland and Mr. King. Um, now, mind you, I listened to things here and there, and I liked my Michael Jackson. I liked my Prince. I liked my new edition. Um, 
you know, but at that time, you know, I thought that was it. That's, you know, that was the end all be all. And so as I get older, and I I expose myself to different music, different artists and different genres, that's when the respect and realization that, you know, what I'm a part of over here in some way, shape, form or fashion has helped to create what's over here, what's over there. I don't care what anyone says. Blues is the end all be all creator of everything else music. But but I wonder, you know, in a way it's weird because you said you realized you were not, you were pretty good when you started playing with other people. But I would figure that if... Decent, decent, decent is what I, is what I realized. I was decent. <laughs> okay. But at the same time, when you're used to playing with people of that caliber of people in BB's band or in your dad's band... I mean, we're talking heavy musicianship. So when you yeah. go to another band, I'm not sure, you know, if there are many people out there of that caliber. So was there a moment where you thought, wow, these guys just are not as good as what I'm used to? And, and you know, that would be grossly disrespectful to guys that I'm just playing with for the first time and the guys that I'm used to playing with. Everyone is different and unique. Right, right. You know, no one's any better or any worse. They have just gone about their journey in a different way. So if, for example, one of the things I don't really like is when I see or hear bands phoning it in playing covering other people right for example regardless of if i were friends with them or not which i am thankfully chris slayton and tommy shannon when it comes to playing cold shot or pride and joy or stevie's version of mary had a little lamb or ten i take i take a lot of effing pride and playing it okay i'm not chris for example my my bass player kelly my kelly is not tommy and it goes without saying that whoever's playing guitar with us damn sure ain't stevie right but the thing of it is you do your best to interpret what it is they did you cannot and you should not want to play like Chris and Tommy. No, not saying play like Chris and Tommy, but I'm saying approach it with that same purity that they did. So I say that to say this. I've heard people playing cold shot and pride and joy. And it sounds like they're like, they are on fire trying to, you know, run to the nearest lake to douse themselves of the flames or like there's a, uh, you know, there's a, a police, squad chasing them uh, for stealing something. Slow it down. Relax. Cold shot, the groove sounds so sleepy, but it grooves so hard. And so when I see, when I hear drummers going, no, stop that. that, that uh, 
So it's like, okay, they don't get it. And that respect to the question you asked me about the level of musicianship, that's my that's been my only gripe about playing with playing music with, you know, people I'm used to playing with versus someone I'm not used to playing with or doesn't have that same kind of deep intimate care uh that I would. Okay, uh another example. People will play Thrill is Gone till the end of time. It's a it's an iconic song. It's a great song. I've heard people I've heard a guitar player say, hey, man, let's play Thrill is Gone, but let's, let's make it funky. In my head, I'm like, okay, so does he mean play the version from Together Again Live that my dad BB did? Because that's the funkiest version there ever is of that song. Or And I, then I recall the times I've seen BB play it live. I recall a couple times I played it with him. Who's to say that that wasn't funky? My mindset is, if you just play it, it might just be funky after all. Hmm. Don't try to... Don't try to don't think that you can reinvent the wheel with this song or any song. You know, you brought up Mel Brown. I'll say this, that I did. I had a live version of Mel Brown doing Hey Joe, right? Yep. And all of a sudden, they went into this reggae feel. And I totally stole that and applied it to uh, a group I was playing with where we would come out of the first solo and do the reggae thing, you know, like after the da 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 da, yeah, the walk down, and then and then drop it back down into the last verse. And again, was that doing too much? Maybe, <laughs> but did we like totally disrespect the Jimi Hendrix version of Hey Joe? No, we did call ourselves, I call myself trying to add an enhancement to it. And then I took it right back to like, you know, the original format. So if so many people want to not maintain the roots and the purity of a song. Again, playing Love and Happiness. No one can uh, replicate the groove that Howard Grimes did. Right. If that if you could, you know, would you be playing in a club or a bar gig? No, you'd be out uh, somewhere on the road playing uh, theaters or arenas. You'd be holed up in a studio because no one wants to let you go because your grooves are so, you know, wow. Um, I'm not saying you have to be a carbon copy of the original recording. No one wants that. I tell my kids this at School of Rock. Listen to the song, learn the song, play the song, but put you in it. Well, so I can do, no, 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 no. Don't go crazy with drum fills galore. Like I had a kid that's, he's currently learning, he's doing Soundgarden, right? There you have Matt Cameron. We don't need another Matt Cameron. Right. What we need, what we need is you and your interpretation of what Matt Cameron did. The same philosophy I utilize uh, with the singers that were singing on my EP, it was very important that they don't try to be blue. Don't sing like Bobby Blue Bland. Don't try to be Bobby Blue Bland. You be you singing Bobby Blue Bland songs. 
You be you. Listen to the way he did it in the studio. Listen to this live version I gave you. Let that be a roadmap or your or your recipe. It's not going to come out tasting the same way that uh, that 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 blue did it. It's not supposed to. Just maintain that purity. Sorry, and then we should mention that that EP you're talking about is Rod Bland and the members only band. Live on Beale Street, a tribute to Bobby Blue Bland. Hey, look, just happened to have a copy right there in front of me. There you go. (laughs) Product placement. I have to ask, what's your singing voice like? Non-existent, because you'll never hear it. Oh, really? Have you tried it? (laughs) This is Uh, Singing was never a thing that you wanted to do? Singing was never on the list of things I wanted to do. Um, I think I... I sang to a, a, an ex-girlfriend, which is probably why she's an ex-girlfriend. Um, but in all seriousness, I never had any kind of an inkling or desire to be a singer. My dad, actually, I, I sang in front of him uh, jokingly, and I didn't know it was in front of him until I heard him clear his throat and say, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and... Um, it's not a story I've shared uh, too often, especially in public and obviously now, but we were on the bus on, on a run and um, I was playing uh, his rendition of Save Your Love for Me. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember exactly what part it was that I, I was on, but I just you know, sang along with it, tried to, <laughs> tried to match his voice. And he's uh-huh. Holding out on me, huh? I didn't know you could do that. I said, do what? And I can't tell you uh, on air what followed uh, his statement, but uh, we had more than a great laugh. And um, it's just never been at the forefront of my to-do list. And I did learn when he became terminally ill, when I went to visit him at the hospital, and again, this is like eight years ago. Um, the advent of Pandora radio, right? And iPhones. Right. So I had an iPhone, I think it was the three at the time or four. And, you know, I was reading a magazine and he was sitting up in a chair and he had, had it going on the Buddy Ridge channel. And I happened to look over and he's air drumming. Like, you know, he's, he's got the moves. He's doing his thing. And so I, I gave him a receipt for that time. He cleared his throat with me. I cleared mine with him. That's <clears throat> uh, gimmick infringement, don't you think? You know, he's like, I always wanted to be a drummer, but I couldn't, you know, get it together like you and your, you and your brother Tony. Um, he always called Tony Coleman his uh, his his son, and and by default, obviously, it's my my brother. Um, and and so. You know, you fast forward uh, later that year, obviously, that's in the spring of 2013. Uh, he passed in June of 13. It was, I want to say, literally three, four days after his memorial service. I was up late and I, you know, couldn't sleep, obviously. Um, and, you know, I was just googling or whatever and ran across a photo of my father 
Aretha Franklin and Jimmy Witherspoon outside the Regal Theater in Chicago. And Aretha had a ukulele and my dad and Jimmy had drumsticks. There's a drum. And so, you know, I quickly, you know, grabbed my phone and tried to find the same, because, you know, sometimes it's, it's lost. When you mm-hmm. look at one thing on a computer, you might not be able to find it with your phone. So I found it, I screenshot it so I could have it. And I, like, you know, cropped Aretha and Jimmy out and, you know, put me and him together, like, in the black and white, you know. My, uh, was it predetermined? Me be, becoming a drummer? Hmm. You know? Um, things like that are, are, are cool to me, you know, to, to see that. And then I later saw a WDIA uh, photo with him behind a, a drum set again. I'm like, all right, did you did he really try to, you know, <laughs> try his hand at drumming? I don't know. You know, wow. the list... Uh, call this my list of several things I'd like to ask him to this day. And it wasn't until my mom had a conversation with buddy guy shortly after my dad passed. And he said, Bobby used to be a drummer. And she came, uh, met me for lunch one day and told me that. And I literally like dropped a drop my fork. Wow. Cause I'm, I'm going back on that on that experience of being in the hospital with him, watching him air drum to, uh, you know, the Buddy Rich Pandora channel. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're getting hit with all of this information, you know, well after the fact. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I can't, if heaven had a, uh, had FaceTime, I think the rest of us on the earth would be a little bit more. Okay with our, uh, our our loved ones no longer with us. You know, if we had just a, you know, when you're, when you're missing the most and, or you, you need, you know, that, 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 that friendly word or some form of, uh, form of reassurance, if you could just like, here, okay, let me put, let me send out a request to have a moment to talk, you know, mm-hmm. That would be the ultimate fantasy booking right there. It'd be like, I miss my dad. I want to talk to him for five minutes. Right. Can you can you imagine like how happy, how much more happy people would be if they could, you know, if they're going through a depression or, you know, if they could just that one moment to be able to spend. For sure. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. I didn't mean, I, I tend to, I tend to get a little long winded when it comes to my dad <laughs> or BB. So that's, Quite all right. Tell tell me, as a young kid playing with your dad's band, was there anything that he might have told you as a band leader to a young drummer that stays with you today? Or did it not work that way? Was was your instructions on becoming a drummer come from the other drummers in the band? Well, as far as becoming a leader, my dad always says in order to become a leader, you must first learn how to follow. And, you know, that applies to life, period, whether it be life as a musician, life as a business executive, uh, a store owner, you know, whatever. In terms of being a good leader as a drummer, tempo and timing. 
and tempo and timing is not solely relegated to drums and drumming, you know, the, you got to have the foundation. So my, my father's left foot, his left heel, excuse me, always served as a metronome, right? That's the heat. That's the heel right there. Right. So that's, that, that was always the click, as I said. And if, he wasn't grooving or if he started moving uncontrollably, that means like, you know, the temp, uh, he needs you to pick the tempo, you know, come up, you know, you're, 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 you're too, you're dragging. Or if he would, uh, you know, okay, bring it down, not just in terms of volume, but tempo as well. Just let, let me, let me relax. Let me, let me do my thing. Be the foundation, mm-hmm. which is what I, another lesson that I, I teach all the kids that I work with at school of rock, as well as, in this rehearsal, I said, if, if, if you can't establish a great foundation or a solid canvas for the singer, guitar player, keyboard player to paint on, if you can't give them a strong canvas, you got nothing. If you cannot be a solid foundation for them to build upon it's all going to come tumbling down so in that respect you know learning to listen to his breathing cadence singing cadence and also having a really strong uh band leader in joseph harden joe harden h-a-r-d-i-n um and my dad's band was very influential and very necessary and me being able to, you know, later go play for BB King when Tony Coleman had to go away, uh, for family reasons, uh, for me to be able to go play with Otis clay, for me to be able to have, uh, done, you know, shows with William, Bell and Otis Clay and Al Capone and Frazier Boy, you know, for the for 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 the Take Me to the River film, right? Um, and and you know, it sounds like I'm dropping names, and I and I admit that yes, I am. But the work that I did with my father and with BB helped me to be able to work with people like. Will Tucker, Corey Osborne, Kirk Smithhart, Vince Johnson, um, you know, all of that. If I didn't, if I didn't get the chance to work with my dad and, and, you know, break into the business and get smartened up, if you will, then the opportunities to play alongside one of the greatest bass players ever, Leroy Hodges from the, famous Hodges family, all the Al Green and Seal Johnson hits. You know, if I weren't able to have that learning tree moment, I wouldn't be able to play with a Leroy because, you know, a solid bass player like that, he doesn't need anybody that's half-stepping or that can't keep up or can't help rein things in. And so, you know, all this is all training ground. And I'm, and I, I feel like I'm still training to this day. 
Was there not a time when B.B. King required a drummer and had requested your services, but you were on tour with your dad and your dad insisted that you play with B.B.'s band? How did you hear this story? Came across in research, but that, did he not say you, you need to do this? <laughs> okay, so when I went out to, in uh, your goods, you did your research because uh, no one knows of that story. No one knows of that story outside of my inner circle. So I'm not to, I might have to tighten my circle. Um, <laughs> so I went and played with BB and I think this is 2010. And, you know, I went out and uh, I did the shows that I was asked to do. And when I was, I thought I was going to come home and uh, he asked me to, if I wanted to stay, you know, he'll just, uh, you know, instead of flying home, they were coming into Memphis anyway, I can just stay out. Um, You know, I said, okay, let me, me, me call home, make sure I'm okay. And at that time I'm newly single against my, uh, (laughs) against my wishes, but you know, it is what it is. And, uh, I talked to my dad and he said, you know, if he offers you something, you ought to take it. And I said, what? He said, if, if he, if he offers you anything, you need to take it. I said, yeah, but you know, I work for you because I'm fully aware of who you work for, but you know, you need to make you need to really look at your future and start thinking of what you're going to do and how you're going to be able to do it. And, uh, so, you know, I stayed out for the rest of the week and we came into Memphis and he asked me to, uh, still dress out, you know, in the tux and everything, even though I wasn't playing. And so I thought I was going to go on, you know, I thought, you know, and he said, well, not just yet, son, but, uh, don't don't be ready when I need you. So, okay. So fast forward to 2013. This was in March, and this is March was a March 2013 was a difficult time because you know my dad was not feeling well, and we were in Bossier City, Louisiana, on the Blues Is Alright tour, and I got a a text and a phone call. Um from BB's basis that let me know that Tony had parted ways. And I'm like, what? You know, they're, and they're still out in Canada. And he's like, you need to call the boss. And, you know, I, said, I don't have a way to get in touch with the boss. Uh, he said, well, the boss wants you. It's really okay. So, um, you know, I got off the phone and I, I guess I had this disheveled look on my face and my dad was matter. And uh, I said, Tony just Tony just left BB. He said, and did Doc call you to tell you that? He said, no. Uh, Reggie called and told me and told me that I need to call BB. I need to call Mr. King. He said, well, I think you need to let Mr. King call you. I said, I was thinking the same thing but I'm out here with you. And he goes, 
I understand that, but uh, and I think this is like the second to last night, or you know, he said, uh, "I can't tell you what to do and how to feel about it, but um, I think you ought to really consider." making the move. And uh, I said, I can't. And he said, uh, he said, why is that, son? I said, because I already have a job. And uh, his assistant kind of stepped in, played. And he, he said, I think he's trying to get you to tell him that it's okay for him to want to think about it. And he looked up at him and then he looked back at me and said, I can't tell you. I can't tell you what to think. I can't tell you how to feel. I'm not you. I know where your heart is. And I know what you're thinking about. And it's okay. You need, you need to be over there. And so that was difficult to hear at that age I was at. And of course, uh, looking at him and seeing looking back on it now I'm seeing that he was starting to not feel well all the time so it was difficult to hear him tell me something that I wanted to do maybe 10 or 15 years earlier because I felt overly protected if you will (laughs) Because, you know, I'm I'm in my dad's band. I'm in my dad's organization. I'm, like I said, protected. You know, um, not really fending for myself, if you will. You know, if, if, if things, if it gets a little too hot in the kitchen, you know, I know the back way into, you know, the cooling area. Right. And like I said, you know, it wasn't until my uh, much later in life that I really, really, and at times took way too seriously my position and where I was at and what was going on. You know, uh, the infinite level of respect for my current status and position in that band just was like, you know, magnet, just times 10, you know? So ultimately, um, it didn't work out, uh, me going over there and I made peace with that because, you know, I was able to be with my dad and we were able to, we did a movie and a soundtrack together, uh, unbeknownst to us. We didn't know we were being filmed. We just thought we were doing a session. 
So, you know, I had, you know, take me to the river film documentary. Right. So I'll have, I'll have that. And, you know, people getting a glimpse at to how he and I would interact, you know, ribbing each other, you know, seeing who could make that own laugh first or who's going to pop first. Um, I don't think I would have had that. Um, had I jump ship and I probably wouldn't have been there to hold him uh, as he took his last breath if I were out with BB or, or elsewhere. I presume that it's, I mean, I don't know if it's more looking out for you or also partly because of how he felt about BB. I mean, I get the feeling that they were very close. Extremely. They, uh, they got their, they got their start together on Beale together. Um, for lack of a better phrase and trying to keep from saying the word together again. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they, them, Roscoe Gordon, Johnny Ace, they all started out simultaneously uh, <laughs> on, on, well on, on, thank you, on Beale. And, everyone grows and goes their own ways, but it seemed like the two of them were always synonymous with one another. And, you know, like the best rubber band, no matter how much elasticity, they still found a way back to one another. You know, um, I said in that unsung documentary, I called them, um, (laughs) The, the the two greatest superheroes when it came to blues, you know, Batman and Superman. I I wonder, having played with both amazing bands, mm-hmm. is there a difference between the two? I mean, they yeah, came from the same a, place. There's a there's a big difference. Okay, let's look at let's look at BB's band. Most of BB's band consists of musicians that at one time or another, or originally. Bobby Blue Bland band members. Hmm. Okay. Another thing about BB's band, it's guitar driven. The guitar, Lucille. Right. That's, that's just, that's a centerpiece. Yes. BB is singing, but like, you know, everything is, you know, guitar influenced, right? Or that's the, 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 the centerpiece of the show. My dad, him, his voice, that's the centerpiece of the show. The rhythm section, canvas, my dad uh, paints using his voice and the horns. You know, it's, there's a huge difference. As a drummer, how do you play differently between those two? As a drummer playing with BB King, you got to be able to go ninety-five plus miles per hour, and then come to a screeching halt whenever he said. You got to be able to adjust on the fly and know where he's going. Whereas with my dad, there are a lot of dynamics utilized. Soft, medium, melodic, 
and then there were some up tempos, you know, shuffles. You know, both both bands had shuffles and slow blues and some up tempo things, but it seemed like my dad had more of the I wanna say merry go round of dynamics, right? Where BBs had the roller coaster of <laughs> dynamics. Right. Uh, and, and and it's not a slight to either iconic band and brand ambassador, but my dad and BB both told stories. They just went about it in a different format, a different way. Whereas Lucille did a lot of the painting and the the communication to the audience. My dad, this did all the communicating and the painting on, on, on those uh, art forms. That make any sense? Yeah, it does make sense. You brought up Lucille. Um, if I'm not mistaken, when BB passed, there was a parade. There was a march in Memphis. You know, procession, and, Beale Street. Yeah, and, and you were given the honor of carrying Lucille, I believe. An honor that initially I turned down. Because, I mean, this is your godfather. This is somebody mm-hmm. you've known all, all your life, you've played with. I mean, it, I, I can imagine how intimidating being asked would be, but why did you turn it down initially? I turned it down because something of that magnitude, right? You would think they would have asked Buddy Guy who was the last living close, not even a uh, contemporary, but friend. Mm-hmm. You'd think they would have asked Buddy to do that. In, in my head, why didn't you get, why didn't you ask Buddy to do it? Why didn't you ask, you know, one of BB's sons, like Kenny Wayne Shepherd or Johnny Lang to come do it? And it, it, it's definitely was one of those, why me? And, I'm already, uh, and the day I was asked was after I finished doing this performance, uh, a tribute to him at our local CBS affiliate, WREG, live at nine. I was with Will Tucker and we did a tribute to BB and we, I brought, it's a four piece band. So I brought all the guys, some BB King attire. Uh, I think I gave, uh, Will Tucker wore my last BB King baseball jersey. Uh, my, uh, Kelly, the bass player, he wore uh, a jersey. I wore a tour tee that had, you know, a, like a like a light blue character of him. And Chris Stevenson, the keyboard player, wore my Cook County Jail hmm. tour tee. You know, so I'm already like, you know, as a young kid, say I was already in my feelings that day, and I, yeah, you know, it was right about close to. 10.30, 10.45, so I made it just in time to Miss Polly's and be able to have breakfast. And Joe was there, Joe Whitmer, who works for the Blues Foundation. He was the one that, that approached me and asked me about it. He said, hey, I need a favor. I said, anything for you. I need you to carry Lucille for the procession. Anything but that. <laughs> and uh, he goes, I understand how you feel, but I really would appreciate it if you take some time to really think about it and reconsider and get back to me. 
So, you know, I talked to my mom and she she said, who, who else but you can do that? And I sat and thought about it a lot. Um, yeah, it's 2015, May 2015, and we're not even a full two years, and me having to let go of my father. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I let go. I, I lose my father. That's that's one huge uh, component of my blues DNA. And now I have to say goodbye to the other half of that, right? When it came to blues, it was it was those two for me, and 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 everyone knows I love Albert King, I love Buddy Guy, Junior Wells, and and James Cotton, excuse me, Uncle James Cotton. Um, but I was having one of those bold brat moments. It's not fair. I had to say goodbye to, to, to the one who made me, you know, and I got to say goodbye to the one who was helping to further shape me or, you know, right. made man. Right. So, you know, I sat up and I texted him like, I think way late in the night and said, yeah, I'll do it. And he, uh, we met and had coffee or something. I, we, we met up, Joe and I. And he said, you're doing this for BB and your dad. You're doing this for the street that they got their start on. You're doing this for the genre of music that they champion and that you love and that you champion. And this is, this is your way of not only honoring the both of them at the same time, it's also you honoring your. I mean, Joe. Joe broke it down to me in ways that I did not fathom considering. So, if it weren't for Joe Whitmer, I would have never done it. Wow! Thanks for letting me know that. Um, your teacher. Mm-hmm. What does that do for you? <laughs> it's an exercise in patience. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what made you decide that you wanted to pursue teaching music? I'll be honest with you. I I heard about School of Rock, and I had some friends, one of my close friends, and we're still close to this day, Landon Moore, who's now the GM of the school that I'm at, he's like, man, it would help you immensely with furthering your career as a musician because you're going to, you're going to end up learning some things in addition to showing the kids, you know, tricks of the trade. And, and we want guys like you that are out there playing gigs or have, that have tour experience and this, and I, I've always been gun shy about 
teaching or trying to impart any kind of knowledge or wisdom into the next uh, human being, let alone an impressionable kid, right? Because kids are like sponges. Right. And I say, I say that because I had the supreme privilege of teaching a young man, Sebastian Stevens, uh, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S. We took to each other like a fish to water. And his dad would always uh, text me or email me like a list of certain songs he wants the kid to work on. So, and, and this is a great story that I wish I'd have told Billy before Dusty passed. Billy Gibbons uh, from ZZ Top. The kid was going to learn to play Tush. <laughs> right? Yep. And we went over to, we listened to it. You know, we have the splitter, so we plug headphones into my, my laptop. And we listen and then two, listen two times through. And then on the third time, we're going to attempt to play together. And if I can hear and feel like, you know, all right, they're doing pretty good. I'm going I'm to go ahead and ease out or drop out. I have a tendency of zoning out when I'm playing. I'm, you know, really feeling it. You know, I got my head moving or, I'm, you know, I might shift my body position or whatever. So we're playing Tush and I the feeling, you know, let me drop out, let let Shorty have it. And I'm still zoned out listening, I got my eyes closed. I turn over I turn over and look and this kid is playing his he's playing his little butt off. And the thing that popped me was that he is replicating my body movements. Like, you know, he's <laughs> right. And like, you know, he's, he's just digging in. He's got like the, the, the sour stank face grimace going. <laughs> like there are times when I'm playing a shuffle and it feels really good to me. I was, you know, I'll look at, in my head, I'm yelling, who are you? <laughs> It's like, and and I found a video of us playing together from uh, pre-pandemic. Like, you know, I, my 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 vanilla Zilla right here, because one of my nicknames <laughs> is is Rodzilla or short for Zilla. Like, right. you know, my 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 mini Nilla Zilla right here. And so, I got a report that uh, he went and played with these, you know, older gentlemen that are already deep in their fifties, maybe even sixties, and. Uh, they got one of my work with. I said, "So how did uh, how did Shorty do?" He said, "Man, I heard a lot of you, and I looked back there, and it was a it was a vanilla you." <laughs> he said he counted it off, and and uh, and he said next thing out he he was sitting back just like right. I said, God. So you got so I said all of this post. 
from the backlog, they're sponges. And like, I was really, I'm really, I try to be cautious of uh, my behavior or certain things I would, my mannerisms and of course the things I say, because, um, you know, not everything that we adults do or is meant for uh, child consumption and, and, and replication. And uh, I think one day I'd, uh, I think I ran into him after watching the Jeffersons or whatever. So I did the George Jefferson walk <laughs> and, and next thing I know, he's, he starts doing it. I'm like, okay, is I said, you and me, we need a break from each other. We need a break. And uh, he's like, but why T.O. Rod? I said, and his, his dad said, that, that's your T.O., that's your uncle. I said, look here, primo. There's way too much me <laughs> starting to, start to show through with you. We might we might need to take ourselves a little breaky break. And, uh, you know, prompt, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. But I'm thankful to say he's out in Utah kicking ass with the School of Rock play prior to the pandemic and definitely during the pandemic was taking Berkeley College of Music bass lessons, uh, classes with Victor wow. Wooten. So, I mean, he's playing left-handed bass, he's playing keys, he's playing left-handed guitar. I think he's playing sax or is a trumpet. If knowing him, probably both. Um, he's a prodigy. But I was convinced, to fully answer your question now, I was convinced that I, I have something that I could offer kids. And so... Sorry, I, we should also say that you're popping bubble wrap, right? I get nervous talking about myself. As, 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 you know, when you said, like, what made you want to be a teacher? I'm like, hell, I don't know. Um, but uh, a friend of mine, Landon, like I said, the GM said, you have something that is really good inside you that you could utilize to help shape a new generation of musicians. And ever since I signed on with them in the fall of 2016 and I think summer fall of 2017 is when I went full time so if you see a kid that knows how to shuffle or lay down a heavy two and four that came from Memphis chances are they sat under my learning tree (laughs) well that's something (laughs) else eh I mean that must be a neat feeling I mean, I, I make all the jokes in the world, but it, it really is nice to know that the things that I've learned, whether it be solely from my dad's band or from BB, that, you know, I'm kind of helping another kid ascertain and pick up, mm-hmm. you know? Um, there's like, not to sound like a, a one of those old ABC after school infomercials, but there's so much bad stuff that kids can and are unfortunately learning from adults and our behaviors and discretions. It's nice to know that in some small part that yes, I'm a positive impact or I'm a, a, a evoking uh, a change in 
a change in their direction as far as what they thought they wanted to do, the path they wanted to take to do what they want to do. Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, well, wait a minute. Okay, this one teacher I had years ago was teaching me this and that. Okay, this guy over here, the big, bald, scary guy that sometimes talks in third person like he's Dwayne Johnson, um, <laughs> he's actually listening to me and he's actually like taking some of the music that I like, which he may or may not like, but he's helping me learn how to approach playing it, but it being authentically me playing it. So yeah, that's uh, at the end of the day. I mean, there's it's there's there's no better feeling than knowing that you can influence someone positively. Yeah, for sure. Rod, thank you so much for doing this. It's a it's a real pleasure meeting you and and uh, thank you for having me. And and your your EP, your live album, sounds great. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, I I can't imagine how easy it is to find singers and say, hey. Can you sing like Bobby Blue? Not like, but we're going to do this tribute to Bobby Blue Bland. Would you mind doing it? And I would think that, <laughs> you know, for a singer, that might be a little intimidating. But the, those singers sound amazing, and the band sounds amazing. So a quick backstory on that, if you have the time. Sure. Um, Jerome Chisholm, who is the lead vocalist for the BB King All-Star Band here in Memphis. Right. Um, well, the guitar player in the house band is also the guitar player I use for the... MOB. And I was talking to Harold at the bar about like, hey, these are some songs I'm thinking about I want to do. Like, oh, I ain't in Jerome Walter. Hey man, um, you know, if you if you're doing this again, like I, I wanna I wanna be a part of it. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, man. I love your dad. I was like, careful what you wish for. <laughs> and so, you know, I picked uh those three songs that I wanted him to do because there were songs that I remember doing as a kid and, you know, they were part of the set, you know, even, uh, the set before he, uh, as he, as he got terminally ill and you know, passed away. So, you know, I Jerome, I thought would sound great on, you know, as soon as the weather breaks, I wouldn't treat a dog the way you treated me and get your money where you spend your time. Uh, Ashton Riker, we met through, Royal Studios because my dad was involved with, you know, the Take Me to the River stuff and Ashton mm-hmm. was a Stax kid and he was involved with Take Me to the River. And so he had, uh, I think he had done the 2018 tribute show that I did for my dad. And, you know, just, I love the way he did uh, lead me on. And I thought, you know, hey man, you doing St. James Infirmary, that, I think that would be pretty cool. And, uh, Obviously, the answer was yes. Uh, it would be really cool. Um, he sounds great. Jerome does as well. And finally, Chris Stevenson, who I've known, gosh, almost 20 years, keyboard player. And he's done every tribute show I've done for my dad. You know, the IBC soft thing we did uh, with Stacey Metchart. And then, you know, they're full on. BMA appearances, 17, 18, 19. And Chris, when I saw the unsung and I saw the footage, live footage of my dad doing Up and Down World, I was like, we got to do this song and it's got to be Chris that sings it. 
And then I remember as a kid playing Sit on a Poor Man's Throne. Uh, and it's on a record that's out of print, Reflections in Blue. And I was like, Chris would sound great doing this too. And as I said, don't try to be him. Don't try to channel him. You know, listen to a studio version, live version, and you you pull and take what you need and put yourself in it and give me that. And I couldn't have asked for a better recipe for success uh, with those three vocalists. Um, I'm very fortunate, and thank you. I'm glad that you liked uh, what you heard. The only thing I missed was maybe you singing Stormy Monday a cappella. <laughs> Rod, thank you so much for doing this. It was a real pleasure meeting you. Likewise, thank you for having me.